This morning, I have the privilege to also introduce our guest speaker for today, John Chrisman. This is not his first time as our guest speaker. He was here as recently as last week. Um, he's joined today by his wife, Allison, and daughter, Lizzie. So at this time, I would like to invite him forward. John, please come, share with us what the uh, what uh, God has laid on your heart, and word of God. Thank you. Good morning, Lydie's Church. It's good to be with you again this morning. If you're not already there, hopefully you are, but we're going to be in Galatians chapter 2 this morning. And please join me in praying for our time together in God's word. Heavenly Father and gracious Lord, we do come before you this morning. We praise you and we thank you and we know that you are holy, holy, holy. Lord, we thank you for this constant reminder that we have sung this morning, how great you are and how worthy you are to be praised. As we come to your word now and we come under your word, Lord, open our eyes to see you. Open the eyes of our heart, the eyes of our mind. Help us to receive this for what it really is, your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. <clears throat> Martin Luther said, it is the cornerstone doctrine of the church, the article upon which the church stands or falls, the article without which the church could not even exist for one hour. According to John Calvin, it is the main hinge on which Christianity turns. According to Matthew Henry, it is the great fundamental doctrine of the gospel. According to J.C. Ryle, it is the crown and glory of the gospel. According to John Piper, it is the heart of the gospel. To what are they referring? What would you say is the cornerstone doctrine of the church? What would you say is the heart of the gospel? Luther, Calvin, Henry, Ryle, and Piper, they are all speaking of one Christian doctrine, justification by faith alone. Justification answers this question, how is a sinner made right with God? Do you hear the significance of this question? Have you asked a question like it in your own life? The question is actually on the lips of a man in Job 25.4 where we read, How then can man be in the right before God? How can he who is born of woman be pure? How would you answer it? How is a sinner justified? And I'm not talking about those margins on Microsoft Word. How is a sinner made right with God? How are you, each of you, made right with God? This sermon will seek to answer that question. You see, this question actually presses us, as the quotes I shared said, into the very heart of the gospel, into the very cornerstone of the church. As Paul told the Galatians in the letter, in a portion of it that we did not read, the truth of the gospel is at stake in how we answer this question, how is a sinner made right with God? No justification, no gospel. 
Here's the main idea. Sinners are made right with God. They are justified by faith in Christ alone. But before we can answer how a sinner is justified, how a sinner is made right, how a sinner is put right with God, we need to first establish that you and I, sinners, are in a wrong position. In other words, we need to first establish and show that justification is necessary before we can show how we obtain it. So the necessity of justification, and hear this, only those who are justified can overcome sin's curse. From the Old Testament, hear these words of God from the prophet Isaiah out of chapter 59. Your iniquities, my iniquities, have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue mutters wickedness. I know for those of you who have been in the James class the last couple weeks, there's been a lot of emphasis on our tongues. There is a separation between God and man because of sin. This chasm is deep, it is vast, and it is wide, far grander than even the Grand Canyon. Overcoming this gulf is insurmountable by human effort. But what does the New Testament have to say? Hear these words of God from the Apostle Paul. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. You see, we're in a predicament. Even our best, even on our best days, we're not good enough. We're natural-born sinners, and the punishment owed for our sin is death. The Apostle John reminds us, as we've already heard this morning, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. The Word of God then further tells us, out of Hebrews 9, that it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. This is serious, because at that judgment, no person can stand before a holy, holy, holy God on his or her own. For God will by no means clear the guilty. Exodus 34, 7. We need to be justified. We need to be made right before God. G.K. Chesterton is often said to have observed, original sin is the only doctrine that's been emphatically validated by 2,000 years of human history. Indeed, even as we just prayed, we see the effects of original sin all around us and within us. We all know this to be true. Even those who are trying to deny it, even those who are suppressing the truth of God in unrighteousness, we all know we are without excuse. We all know we are lawbreakers. We all know we are guilty sinners. Okay, a second confession time this morning. Who here 
is or knows someone with a lead foot in the car? What happens when this person is driving on the highway and he, you'll know that I said a he, he drives by a police officer who he sees at the last moment? What happens? He hits the brakes. Why? He knows he was speeding or he knows he is so used to speeding that his natural reaction is to hit the brakes. He knows he's guilty. He knows he's violating the speeding laws. Our consciences convict us. If we would be still for just a moment, and in the weeks that we've been here, we've seen that. You are still in your worship services each week, at least for a moment, to pause and to examine your own hearts in silence before God's presence. And when we do that, when we honestly do that, we will come to one inalterable conclusion. We cannot stand before God on our own. If you want to turn to Luke 18 with me, there's a parable that actually illustrates our need for justification. It's a well-known parable. We actually read it in Sunday school this morning, at least a portion of it. It's Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And Jesus says, Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Both men went to be justified. One went trusting in himself, the other seeking mercy and forgiveness as a sinner. This parable is clear on which man went home justified. It was not the one resting on his own work or his own efforts. It was the one who was graciously declared to be justified. The Bible gives us a clear answer that we all need to be justified the Bible also gives us a clear answer on how we are justified. And this takes us to our second point, and this is where we're going to linger this morning and spend most of our time together. Here's the main idea. Faith in Christ alone justifies sinners. Faith in Christ alone justifies sinners. Look with me again at Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. And I'll be reading from the ESV. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Paul makes it crystal clear. There is no way to be justified, no way to be made right, no way to be put right by works of the law. He says it 
not once, not twice, but three times in verse 16. A person is not justified by works of the law. We are not justified by works of the law. By works of the law, no one will be justified. These words, if he had a a Microsoft Word processor, they'd be the ones that were bolded, italicized, highlighted, and starred. Perhaps even as he says at the end of his letter in Galatians 6.11, I'm writing in my own hand with big letters. Read my lips, Paul says. No one is justified by works of the law. And here, those works include any and every type of the law, moral, ceremonial, governmental, personal, or otherwise. These works of the law will not justify. And yet, this is the very message of every religion and those who claim no religion other than Christianity. These religions preach this message. Human efforts justify. Human works justify. Do this and be saved. Keep these rules and be saved. Repeat these words and be saved. Don't do this and experience nirvana. Do better than others and things will probably turn out for you. Give more than you take and the universe will turn out in your favor. From the most faithful Muslim to the most hedonistic pagan, the heart of their religion tells them they are justified by their own works. But as Paul writes in Galatians 4, these are the weak and worthless elementary principles of this world. The gospel says something very different. Not, I obey, therefore I am accepted. No, the gospel says instead, and I'm crediting Tim Keller for this, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. That's the difference between the gospel and every other religion. And let's remember what Paul is doing in his letter to the Galatians. He is fighting for the gospel and urging them to resist any intrusion. He tells them in chapter 1, and if you want to read this in Galatians with me, starting in verse 6 through verse 9, Paul writes, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, Let him be accursed. Paul goes on to tell the Galatians that he has never preached man's gospel in Galatia. Such a gospel is no good news because because no amount of human effort whatsoever will make one right with God. No amount of human effort will cause you to be accepted. No amount of human works will justify you before God. And I hope you heard, and we need to pay attention to the urgency and the passion with which Paul is writing here to the churches in Galatia. You see, sometimes we can forget that these letters are written to churches. They're not written directly to people outside the church, but to those who are inside the church. So we better not think that we would never run afoul of what is being written here. 
So we need to be careful that we don't allow anything to slip in and infiltrate the church that is a false gospel, a religion of merit. But Paul proclaimed a religion of grace. He was entrusted with the gospel of God, he writes, and he is preaching Christ alone to the glory of God. This is that truth of the gospel that he mentions in chapter 2, that he is so desperately working to proclaim and preserve. It is the truth he is so desperately yearning for the Galatian Christians to uphold in their churches. It is the truth of the gospel that was under attack in their day. It is the truth of the gospel that was under attack in the Reformation. It is the truth of the gospel that is under attack even now. And it is the truth of the gospel that will remain under attack until Christ returns. What is that truth of the gospel? Justification comes one way, by faith in Christ. Man is only made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ. No other way. Man does not and cannot earn it, deserve it, merit it, or contribute to it. Paul says it twice in verse 16. A person is justified through faith in Jesus Christ. And we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ. Here are Paul's big letters again. Read my lips. You can only be justified by faith in Christ. Justification is a legal term. It's a forensic or a judicial declaration by a court that one is not guilty. One is acquitted. To understand it even more fully, understand that the opposite of justification is condemnation. It's a declaration that you are guilty. Well, in fact, justification declares even more than not guilty. For in justification by faith, the judge welcomes you into his chambers. He accepts you. He takes the shackles off your hands and feet, and he gives you his robe to wear. Is this not scandalous? God is justifying the ungodly. What happened to all those verses that we read from Romans and 1 John and Isaiah? Did they not uniformly declare us to be guilty, unworthy, unable to stand before God? These verses tell us that we're unrighteous, that we're evil, that we don't seek God, that we're unholy. How can we be made right with God? Does he ignore who we are? Does he suddenly forget who we are? What happens to our crimes committed? As J.I. Packer said in his classic work, Knowing God, the gospel of grace tells us this, how our judge has become our savior. Indeed, the judge who gives us his robe also paid the penalty for our crimes. Thus, our justification arises from not within us, but from outside us, and it must be that way. Because of who we are, it must be external to us and given to us. This is what Martin Luther calls our alien righteousness. We are declared right with God by a righteousness that is not of our own doing, not of our own making. Christ's righteousness is applied to us personally by his spirit, and we are justified. We are made right with God. We are put 
right with God. How can this be? We receive this declaration of not guilty through our union with Jesus Christ by faith. Through faith in Christ, we are pardoned of our sin. Our sins, they're forgiven. Through faith in Christ, we are credited with his perfect obedience. His righteousness is counted to us. So through faith in Christ alone, we are justified. You see, there are two aspects of justification. The first is the pardoning of our sin by Christ's sacrifice on the cross, paying for our sins. And the second is the perfect obedience of Christ is imputed to us. That means it's counted to us. Both aspects are essential, complete, and final. They're irreversible in Christ. Both aspects are rooted entirely in Christ alone. Thus our justification rests solely upon the work of the crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus not only paid it all, he did it all. No crucifixion, no justification. No resurrection, no justification. No union with Christ, no justification. And no justification, no gospel. We receive that gospel by faith. Many have summarized faith as consisting of three concurring elements. Knowledge, assent, and trust. Knowledge means we hear and understand the right gospel content. Christ crucified for our sins, risen from the grave on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Assent means agreement with the truth of the gospel content. And trust means personally receiving and resting on God's promises in Christ. There's a chair behind me. Knowledge says I know the physics of the chair. Agreement or assent means I know what that chair would do. I agree that if I sat in it, it would hold me up. But trust is actually sitting down in that chair. Knowledge, assent, and trust. Jesus is the source, the ground, the cause, the foundation of our justification. And faith in him is the means by which we receive it. When we receive it by faith, we are justified fully at that moment. It is finished. We are all familiar with bank accounts. Bank accounts are where we deposit and at least it seems more frequently sometimes withdraw money. We can make payments and transfer money to someone else. If we look at a bank account statement, it tells us how much money we have. We can only make payments from that account if we have money in the account to spend. If we try to spend money in that account that we don't have, what happens? An overdraft. You know, the, you know what that means. You don't have the money to pay. Well, imagine you have an account in which the overdraft is so high, you cannot imagine how you would be able to pay it back. The debt is so great, you cannot pay it back. It is so great, you can't even gather all your friends and family together to pay it back for you. Well, imagine the next day you walk into the bank and ask for a copy of your bank account statement. You expect to see that unimaginable amount of money you owe listed at the bottom. But instead, the bank account figure, the statement shows a figure that is positive and so high that you can't even imagine how you would spend all that money. You ask the bank teller how this happened, and you are told someone deposited their money in your account on your behalf. This is what happens in the great exchange of our union with Christ by faith, through whom we are justified. 
Not only has our unimaginable debt been completely forgiven and repaid by someone else, our account has been credited with his unimaginable perfect righteousness. This is what depicts justification by faith in Christ alone. But must it be justification by faith in Christ alone? Yes. Paul is crystal clear in Galatians. Nothing can be added to Christ without changing the gospel. The gospel plus something else is the gospel minus Christ. And the gospel minus Christ is no gospel. For if Christ's death was insufficient to justify and save sinners, then as Paul says in our passage in verse 21, Christ died for no purpose. Again, this is why Paul is writing to the Galatians. This is why he is fighting so hard. The gospel is at stake in the Galatian churches. In Galatians, he speaks of the gospel 14 times in this short letter. He distinguishes the true gospel from a different gospel, the true gospel from the contrary gospel, a true gospel from the distorted version of the gospel, all of which are no gospel at all. You see, that false gospel, a gospel plus something more than Christ, had slipped into the churches. It had bewitched the Galatians, he says in chapter 3, and it was threatening to undo the preaching of the truth of the gospel. If we will hear him, Paul is talking about the heart of the Christian religion and the difference between the gospel and non-gospel, truth and falsehood, freedom and bondage, sonship, daughtership, and slavery, life and death. There is no mixing of Christ's work with our works to be saved and justified. Not an ounce, not a mustard seed, not a peppercorn, not a pinch, not a dash, not a bit. Human works play no role whatsoever in our justification, in how we are made right before God. Imagine I have a glass of whole white milk here in front of me. If I put some Hershey syrup into the milk and stir it in, suddenly I've got chocolate milk. But I also can't separate out the chocolate syrup anymore. It has spread through and now infected the entire glass of milk. This is what happens when we lose justification by faith in Christ alone and try to add our works into it. We stop proclaiming the gospel. Our works do not fuse with faith like the syrup fuses with the white milk to make us righteous. Faith is a gift of God, not a work. It is simply received. We are not given grace in Christ to become righteous and justified over time through cooperating human works. We are not infused with a righteousness, that is to say, we don't receive a spiritual injection by which we are then empowered to achieve justification. No, instead we receive a declaration of righteousness at the precise moment we come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Because as Paul will write to the Romans, in Christ we have been justified, Romans 5.1. The word of God says, in Christ you are justified. It does not say you become justified. 
This means that the most sanctified saint is never more justified than the newest convert. Every believer in Christ is equally justified. The weakest saint has the same strong Christ justifying him or her as does the strongest saint. Why? Because our works contribute nothing to our justification. They don't now, they won't ever. Thus, none of us have any reason to boast in ourselves or to boast in our works in order to be justified. Romans 3, 1 Corinthians 1, Ephesians 2, Galatians 2. This is the consistent message of Paul and the New Testament. And yet, in our legalistic hearts, there is always a temptation to allow works to creep back into the gospel. We begin to base our justification on what we call in the church our sanctification. Our sanctification is that ongoing process by which Christians grow in holiness by walking in obedience of faith through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what was happening in Galatia. Look with me at verses 17 and 18. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Now these verses admittedly are not easy to pin Paul down. But in light of what has already been said in our passage, here's what I think he's saying in these two verses. On the one hand, don't misunderstand justification to be grounds for indulging in sin and a carefree lifestyle that ignores what God commands. That's not the freedom of Christ, the freedom to now do whatever you want to do. And on the other hand, once you receive God's grace, that is, once you have been justified by faith in Christ alone, don't lapse into a strict dependence on the law. Don't revert to something less than the gospel in how you live and what you teach. You need the gospel not only at the beginning of your life, but all throughout and to the end. So don't begin with preaching Christ crucified to justify sinners by faith alone and end with preaching moralistic do-goodism. Don't start with faith and try to perfect yourself by works. The gospel is not a bait and switch where you freely receive justification by faith only to return to the works of law and tell Christ, I'll take it from here. That's not what happens. Martin Luther said of justification by faith alone, it is most necessary, therefore, that we should know this article well, that we should teach it to others and beat it into their heads continually. I've kind of felt that this week. Maybe you're feeling a bit of that this morning. But Paul is crystal clear. Our works do not justify. Instead, works follow from one who has been justified by faith in Christ alone. Thus, faith in Christ alone justifies, but true faith is never alone. This takes us to our third and final point, which will be brief, sanctified by faith. You see, the same faith that justifies also sanctifies. Look with me again at verses 19 through 21. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, 
but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Sanctifying works will follow from justification. They even supply evidence of true justification. For one who is truly justified will bear fruit. Indeed, any branch in the vine will bear the fruit of good works. You see, this fights a spirit of cheap grace, a spirit that says the freedom that we have in Christ is a freedom and a license to sin. No, in love, Christ was crucified and gave himself for us so that we may become the dwelling place for his spirit. He says this in Galatians 2.20, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We are not simply better versions of our old selves. We are new creations in Christ. Thus a faithful and a holy life does not nullify God's grace. It demonstrates our union with him. In Christ, we don't abandon the commands of scripture. Instead, in Christ, we are now actually empowered by his spirit and word to obey to be obedient to scripture for his glory and our fullness of joy. Importantly, even the sanctifying works that follow on after justification, those are carried out by that Christ within me faith of which Paul speaks. And this fights a spirit of legalism that can continue to linger in our hearts. For at no point in our faith in Christ are we ever reduced to mere human efforts alone. In considering justification and sanctification, some Christians will claim Christ as their righteousness, Christ as their justification, but then abandon him for purposes of their sanctification and their obedience. In doing so, it's as if they treat Christ as a runner who completes the first and critical lap of the journey. And then he hands the baton off to us And he moves off into the sidelines to encourage us and to cheer us on. But that is not what Paul speaks of to these Galatians. He says, Christ is living in you. And Christ is living in you, Christian believers. Because we have Christ, we now have all we need for the life he calls us to live by faith. All that we need for a life of godliness, we have because we have Christ. And if you have Christ, you have all of Christ. You have the whole Christ. You have everything you need that he calls us to do. Christ has fully accomplished our justification. And by his word and spirit, he accomplishes our sanctification as well. In closing, I will ask you this again. How is a sinner made right with God? How are you made right with God? Sinners are justified by faith in Christ alone. Sinners are made right with God by faith in Christ alone. Sinners are put right with God by faith in Christ alone. This cornerstone doctrine, this crown and glory, this great fundamental doctrine of the gospel, this heart of the gospel touches us all. If you are outside Christ, 
This doctrine should convict you to run to Christ, to be made right with God, because you can't be made right any other way. G.K. Chesterton observed that there are a lot of ways to fall down, but only one way to stand upright. There are indeed a lot of paths that men and women, boys and girls, have walked to make themselves right with God. And outside of Christ, you are on one of those many paths. There are many ways that we try through our own efforts or through our own works to justify ourselves before a holy God. But there is only one way to stand up straight. There is only one way to be made right with God. There is only one way to stand before God. You must be justified by faith in Christ alone. And no matter how great your sin, the grace of God in Christ is greater still. His justification is the gospel in you. If you are in Christ, however, this doctrine should comfort you from the guilt and the shame that you may feel, perhaps even decades later at this point, from past sins. There is no working them off. There's no paying them off. They are pardoned and forgiven. They are gone. They are finished. They are paid for. It is done. For those in Christ, this doctrine should also strengthen your assurance because your faith and your hope rest upon the one who conquered death and the grave. It doesn't rest upon yourself or your ability or inability to perform your efforts and your trying, your falling down and falling short. Your justification is fully and finally accomplished. And if you are in Christ, this doctrine should humble you because the grace of God has freely and sovereignly been accomplished in Christ for you and applied to you by the Holy Spirit by faith. This is not something you can do on your own. You can't make yourself right before God. The just one was killed so that he could justify you. And for those in Christ, this doctrine should also spur you on to good deeds because the same one who justified you is living within you by faith to sanctify you day after day. And for those in Christ, this doctrine should cause you to worship, praise, and glorify God. Because this gracious gift of being declared right with God is wonderfully good news that exalts and magnifies not ourselves, but our crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ, in whom by grace, through faith, in Christ alone, we are justified. To God be the glory. Let us pray. Heavenly Father and gracious Lord, we do come before you right now and we thank you, we praise you, we glorify you for the justification that is found in Christ alone. Lord Jesus, we thank you for paying the price for our sins. We thank you for your perfect righteousness that we receive by faith through the Holy Spirit working faith in us. Lord, we ask and pray that you would assure us, that you would comfort us, that you would spur us on through our deeper understanding of this doctrine. Lord, we don't and we can't do it on our own. We can't make ourselves right before you. We can't stand before you on our own efforts or our own merits. It's only in and through the person and the work of Jesus Christ 
that we can stand before you. We thank you and we praise you for what you have done in Christ, that we can receive his righteousness by faith. And it's in the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus Christ, the name in whom we are justified, we pray. Amen.